0: Uh, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. As you know, all through Advent and now into Christmas, we're looking at these great songs of the Savior in Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. And we come, of course, now to this final song, which is sung by an old man in the temple in Jerusalem as Joseph and Mary bring Jesus into the temple to perform the rites of purification that would have been common to them as a faithful, as faithful Jewish believers. And let me just underscore that faithful Jewish believers for just a moment. One of the most fun things I had in 2023 was being part of a Bible study that got started because a a Jewish friend said to her neighbor who goes here, I didn't know Jesus was Jewish. She didn't know And so that got started a whole bunch of discussion and we did a Bible study with several folks and it was just such a great time, such a joy. And when I got in there, she she told me the same thing. I didn't know Jesus was Jewish and I said, don't worry about it, I grew up Lutheran, I didn't either. I thought he was Norwegian or Swedish or something, you you know, surfboard Jesus with long hair and all that stuff, you know. So we all have these sort of cloudy images of Jesus but this is a faithful Jewish family and they go into the temple and walking into the temple someone spots them and sees something that everybody else doesn't see, and he takes Jesus in his arms, and he says beautiful words. I'm gonna jump ahead to that, and I'm gonna read you this whole text. Luke 2, verse 22, a little long, it's a little long this morning, but it's the only Bible most of you will read this week, so let's, um, <laughs> just helping you get those New Year's resolutions off to a good start, you know? I'm going to read the Bible a lot more this year. Okay, here we go. Amen. There There was a couple of amens. Okay. Verse 22. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Uh, Bethlehem's just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That was the offering of the the impoverished, of the poor. Uh, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means he's waiting for God to fulfill his promise to send the Messiah. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and he blessed God saying, nunc dimittis, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light of revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. His father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them And said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce Mary through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping, with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Jesus to all Who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their town Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the gospel of the Lord. One of the greatest jazz musicians of all time was the saxophonist John Coltrane. I know that jazz is something of an acquired taste, but if you wanna acquire that palate, you could not do better than to start right here with John Coltrane, a faithful believer. And after one truly extraordinary rendition of A Love Supreme, writes Oz Guinness in his book The Call, Coltrane stepped off the stage put down his saxophone and said nunc dimittis. Of course, most of the people in that that hall didn't have any idea what he said. He gave a Latin phrase, nunc dimittis. It means now depart, now dismissed. It's what we would call in our culture right now a mic drop, Coltrane out. Coltrane, when asked about it, said he felt he could never play the piece more perfectly than he did that night. If his whole life had been lived for that passionate 32-minute jazz prayer, it would have been worth it. He was ready to go. Nook to Now I can go. This was my favorite hymn. The nook demittis. Now let your servants depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the face of all people a light of revelation to the, to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. It was my favorite hymn when I was a little kid and I'd love for you to think it's because when I was a little kid I was so spiritual but it's not it's because it was always the closing hymn of the service and we're gonna get out of there and I could go watch some football come on can we get out of here this is enough already we're out of here. So kids, I get it. Adults, I get it. Some of you got here at nine. Others will be coming in shortly. <laughs> but I'm so glad we're all together to consider this phrase, nuc dimittis. It's from the Latin, the Latin version of the Bible. That's how that's translated here, nuc dimittis, now dismiss. I can go now. Maybe you've had one of those moments in life where the thing that you've longed for your whole life, it happened, and you said something like, man, I can, I can die now. I can die in peace. That's a common phrase. And it really goes back to this passage. Now let your servants depart in peace. Why? What's the only reason we can go in peace? Why can we leave this life in peace? Why can we give 2023 a Christian burial and see resurrection on the other side? Why can we leave this behind and move to the new? Why can we do that in peace rather than anxiety about the next year? Because our eyes, my eyes, have seen your what? Your salvation. What did he see? He saw a baby. Not just any baby. He saw Jesus. And he'd been waiting. See, one of the first things about faith to understand, a life of faith, is that faith Waits. Would you say it with me? Faith waits. Look at verse 29. Lord, now, now, Lord, now you're letting me depart in peace according to your word because my eyes have seen. It says in the verses leading up to this that Simeon had been waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He'd been waiting because at some point in his life, and we don't know exactly when, the Holy Spirit who was on him that day in the temple was in him and said to him, the Holy Spirit said something to him and said, you're going to live long enough to see the Messiah come. It would be like if somehow the Holy Spirit were to say to anybody here, you're gonna to live to see the second coming. And a lot of us would like to, would like, if we heard that, we would say, well, I, I hope it's soon because right now would be an excellent time for you to come back and wrap this up. Have you heard there's an election coming, Lord? Next Tuesday would be great. (laughs) Just wrap it up. He heard a voice of the Holy Spirit, you're going to live to see the Messiah. Can you imagine getting up every single day wondering if today's the day? Is today the day? Maybe he thought he'd see a military commander come walking in. Maybe he thought he would see a great... A great king with a crown on his head. What did he see? He saw a poor couple, Joseph and Mary. And you know they're impoverished because they're offering in this rite the sacrifice, a pair of turtle doves, which is commanded in the law for those who are poor. The wealthy might give big gifts like a lamb or a large sum of money that they bring in worship, a couple of pigeons, the poorest offering that they had. What did we just bring? Lord, I don't have anything to bring except a heart doing what? Saying hallelujah. But why do you sing that hallelujah? What is it, because let me explain this to you. If you're here with us this morning and you're going, what's all the excitement about? Why sing passionately hallelujah? Why weep as so many did on Christmas Eve when you heard what child is this? What happens? What is is different? What makes any of these songs, Lord, all my life you have been faithful. That's somebody else's song until you meet Jesus, until you see him. And when you meet Jesus, and you see how beautiful and believable and trustworthy and glorious and spectacular and merciful and glorious he is, something in your heart explodes and said, he loves me. He loves me. That happened to John Wesley. John Wesley, the great founder of Methodism. He was already a clergyman, he'd gone to Oxford University, he grew up there with his brother, and he was there at college with George Whitfield, Charles Wesley. They were so dedicated, theologically informed, they had a thing called the Holy Club. Your average college undergraduate. Studying theology and starting the Holy Club. And he decided to go be a missionary to Georgia, to leave England and come over here to Georgia to save the pagans. And God knows the pagans in Georgia need saving. So he came. He was young, he was zealous, all that stuff. On the way over, on the way over, there was a great storm on the boat. And he was petrified. He was sure he was gonna die. The ship would go down and he had no assurance of, that his sins were forgiven. He knew he didn't know God. He had religion up to the eyeballs. He had churchianity, hip deep in it but he did not have Jesus. And then he saw some people in a prayer time. They were Moravians. They were from a Christian community called Heron Hut that was founded by a guy named Von Zinzendorf. There'll be a quiz on this next Sunday. And um, Zinzendorf turned over his entire estate and this tremendous prayer revival began. And these people began to pray and they never stopped praying for, get this, over a hundred years. They went in shifts. They never ceased praying for over 100 years. And you go, well man, there must have been bunches. bunch of them. There were 70 of them. 70 people who, who, who never stopped praying. And out of that came a missionary movement. Two of them sold themselves into slavery so they could reach slaves in the West Indies. It was out of that movement comes a lyric in the abolitionist America that's part of Oh Holy Night Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. They sold themselves into chains so they could go minister to people in chains and bring Jesus to them in freedom. And those men were on there praying. And Wesley said, How can you not be afraid? And they said, We're not afraid. We belong to Jesus. We've met Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. If we perish, we're in heaven. Now let your servant depart in peace. We can go. And if we live, we walk with him. And if we die, we're with him. We're okay. He was blown away. He went to Georgia, it didn't go well. It didn't go well for Wesley. He fell in love with the governor's daughter. She didn't like him. She did not return his love. And one Sunday she came for communion and he refused to give her communion. Yeah, word got back to dad. Dad sent Wesley back to England. When he got back there, he looked up those Moravians and they were holding a street meeting in Aldersgate. It's right outside St. Paul's Cathedral in London. It was a street meeting. They were doing an open air meeting. And he went, and somebody was reading, get this, just just from the introduction to Luther's commentary on the Romans, just reading it. And he said, this is what Wesley wrote in his journal, as as he heard that, he said, as he read those words, about Romans 1.16 and the power of the gospel, that the gospel is the power of God that saves. I felt my heart strangely warmed and I knew that I trusted Christ, that he had died for me and my sins. You see, if you'd asked Wesley when he was in college, do you believe that Jesus died? Yes, do you believe he died for sins? Yes, but he said this later, if you'd have asked me do you believe he died for you? He said, I, I, I don't know. But in that moment, the Jesus of history became the Jesus who stepped out of history and existentially united himself to Wesley through the power of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, his heart became alive. That's what the new birth is. Your heart becomes alive through the power of the Holy Spirit to Jesus. And God waited for that day, and He teaches His people to wait. Faith waits, and the Spirit keeps directing people to Jesus. There's people you're praying for right now for them to come to faith. Don't stop praying for them, don't give up. Faith waits. There's a moment, there's a time in the middle of brokenness, in the middle of some disruption, God enters in and people's hearts who today are cold will find their hearts warmed by the Holy Ghost, amen? Faith sees something. Look at verse 30 and 32. My eyes have seen your salvation That you've prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon saw something nobody else saw that day. He sees this young, impoverished couple. They got a baby, newborn baby in their arms. They walked past hundreds of people. Hundreds of people would have been in the temple that day. Other couples, other babies, other families, other worshipers. They would have, you could have been in the crowd and Joseph, Mary, and Jesus walked right on by. And you and I might have said, oh, cute. Because everybody likes, you know, dear baby Jesus. Little one, you, you'd have just said cute kid. But Simeon saw something else. His eyes were open. Simeon saw salvation. Simeon saw what other people didn't see because faith, after waiting, sees We walk by faith, not by sight. But faith leads to seeing. The psalmist said, I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Note the order. I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What comes first, believing or seeing? Believing leads to seeing. I believed that I would see. So he believed the promise of the Spirit to him, the revelation he was given him. You've got a Holy Spirit-inspired revelation right here. All these words are, are words for you from the Holy Spirit. And if we believe, then something happens inside of us. We begin to see some things that we hadn't seen before. We begin to see ourselves in the light of our need for redemption, our need for a Savior. We see the darkness of our hearts and our need for our hearts to be made new. We see our envy, our bitterness, our lusts and our need for Jesus to reshape our lives. And we see him. We see Christ. Everybody else saw a baby. Simeon saw the savior of the world, what Israel had long waited for, and the hope of the world, what God had promised Abraham, the whole world's gonna be blessed through your seed, Abraham. The whole world. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. He stood in the temple at the heart of Judaism and said, you see this baby I'm holding in my arms? This is the hope of the world. You see this baby this is the salvation of the whole world this isn't just the salvation of the Jews here's the salvation of the world a few weeks ago tony was talking to me about paul's conversion and she was so moved by the fact that when god came to saul of tarsus when christ appeared to him the result was he was blinded he took him from sight to blindness but then when a, a servant of the Lord named Ananias a few days later laid hands on him, it says scales fell from his eyes so he could see. One of the things that happens in conversion is that the things we think we see, and we think are important, and we think control our lives, including the myth that we control our lives, we're blinded to that craziness, that insanity. We have to get blind to that. And then in Christ, all the scales fall off, and then we can truly see. It's why Jesus was always healing people who are blind. But we miss him, don't we? In Matthew 25, Jesus says on Judgment Day, there will be people who stand before him, and he'll say, depart from me, workers of iniquity, and and they'll say, why, 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 and he'll say, when, when I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was starving, you didn't feed me. When I was homeless, you didn't house me. When I was a prisoner, you didn't visit me. When I was sick, you didn't, you didn't bring healing to me. And they say, they will say, this is what Matthew says, they will say on judgment day, Lord, when did we ever see you homeless and sick and poor and in jail? When did we? And Jesus said, inasmuch as you have not done it to the Least of these, my brethren, you have not done it unto me. Because Jesus shows up in the people we meet every day. The people in your house that you live with. Your neighbors all around you. You go, pal, you don't know my neighbors. Those guys got demons. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, we've, all, we've all had that HOA. We know <laughs> but Jesus shows up to us listen to this the greatest shows up to us in the face of the least of us and do we walk by or do we see Jesus atheists don't see him um, one of my favorite Twitter accounts is the atheist forum One of them posted the other day, Christianity, the belief that one God created a universe 13.79 billion years old, 93 billion light years in diameter, consisting of over 200 billion galaxies, each containing an average of 200 billion stars, only to have a personal relationship with you. To which I could only say to the atheist, amen. (laughs) Amen. I love it when they preach the gospel. It's tremendous. (laughs) The creator of the universe has come to us. The infinity of space, the God who is greater than that has come to us. Simeon saw it because faith sees. Faith lives. We know that Simeon was old. Anna was old. They're there in the temple. They've been there their whole lives. They were people of the house. Listen, listen, friends, living by faith is not something you retire from. <laughs> faith lives. You get up every day living by faith. Faith is not a one, it's not like a point on a timeline over here. Oh, I believed over here. This is when I, this is when I believed, and, but, I, but faith, you see, is something that is an everyday thing. Faith lives. They lived by faith. That's why the scripture says we walk by faith, not by sight. We live by faith, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that faith is not from you. You didn't invent it. Faith is a gift from God. Why is that necessary? As I read through this text, you might have noticed that five different times in this text, it says that what Mary and Joseph did was according to the law, according to the law, according to the law, according to the law. law. Jesus was raised in a believing household. The next part of Luke 2 talks about Jesus at the age of 12 being brought back to the temple at Passover. They did it every year. This was a believing family. Church was part of their everyday life. Let me tell you something, parents, make church part of your life for the sake of your own soul and the sake of your children. Why do you think God said, I got to find a couple that will take care of my son. I'm going to find some people who go to church. He found Joseph and Mary they brought him. And they did everything according to the law because Jesus obeyed the law perfectly from the first breaths he took. Circumcised the eighth day according to the law. These rites of purification and dedication. His whole life was lived in obedience to the law. How many people here have perfectly obeyed the law? Don't you dare raise your hand. (laughs) No, if you're breathing, you're sinning. Why didn't God just send, why not just send Jesus as a grown-up and go, okay, you gotta die on the cross, just walk into town, you know, and, you know, it'll all happen and that'll be it. Why, why go through all of this? Born as a baby, grow up, perfectly obey the law. Listen, friends, the thing that Jesus gives us in his death and resurrection isn't simply, though it would be good news enough, the forgiveness of our sins, they're all taken away. What he gives us as a gift is his life of perfect obedience to the Father. Every single bit of that perfect obedience, that law keeping that goes all the way back and was lived through his whole life. How righteous, how perfect is Jesus? It says he was spotless, he was sinless. And the Bible says that righteousness is now a gift that the Father bestows on us. It's not just that your sins are taken away like you had a billion dollars in debt and you got back to zero. No, it's like Jeff Bezos just dumped all of his money into your account. <laughs> Only that would be too small to compare with the riches of grace. My friends, Jesus' own righteousness, his law keeping has been given to you and that's why it's faith that saves. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. I can go now. We're leaving 2023. We're gonna enter 2024. When I think back on 2023, frankly, one of the things that strikes me is the people that aren't joining me in 2024 right here. Tim Keller, Ron Tobias, Harry Reeder. You have names on your list. You know, might be a child, father, a mother, grandparent, people that walked with you, and, and here's the truth, folks: we're all gonna we're all gonna depart. You know, you sit there at the airport waiting, sometimes way too long, <laughs> waiting and waiting and waiting. But then they say, "This flight is now boarding," and every single one of us have a boarding time. And we don't know what it is, but it will be announced. I grew up in a soybean field in Indiana, a little town called Kokomo. It is not an island in the Caribbean. <laughs> they made that stuff up. They just made that up, but that is the town I grew up in. It's in the middle of Indiana, in the middle of the corn and the soybeans and everything else, and they had a community pool in Kokomo called Seaside. Man, that is some faith, not sight, let me just tell you. If you're in the middle of Indiana and you name your pool Seaside, that is some sunny optimism right there. Mom and dad would drop us kids off at the pool. and We'd swim, splash, have a big time, go down the slides. We're having the best time of our lives, man. There was no such thing even as Disney World when I was a kid. It didn't even exist. So we're just going down the slides. And you knew that your parents had come for you when a giant voice came over the speakers. And they would call your name. They would call your name. And it said, David Cassidy, it's time for you to go home. And then you better get out of the pool, man. You had like one more slide. That's it. Out of the pool. David Cassidy, it's time for you to go home. I suspect that's what dying's like. One of these days, there's going to be a voice. David, time for you to go home. I don't know when that's going to happen. Neither do you. But I wonder if you're going to be able to say with Simeon, I can go in peace. There's only one way to go in peace. It's the way he went. I can go in peace, Nookdimus, because my eyes have seen your salvation. How did that happen? Simeon spoke to Mary and he said, "Mary, this baby you're carrying, this baby that you're carrying up here into the temple today is a sign. He's a sign to be opposed. Not everybody's going to be happy about him. Some people will be blessed. Some people will rise." But some people will fall. He is appointed as a sign for the fall and rise of many. And Mary, I hate to tell you this, Mary, but a sword is gonna pierce your heart. And when the nails pierced his hands and Jesus suffered on the cross and when the crowns pierced his brow and when the Roman spear pierced his side. Mary was standing at the foot of the cross and in the suffering of her son she suffered too like any mother would. Every mother would suffer and that sword pierced her heart because she saw her son die and give his life for the sins of the world even for the people who hung him there Because he said in that moment, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And so, friends, right now, I want to ask you to stand with me. And I want you to realize that this faith that saves through the suffering of Jesus is what we have. And I want you just to lift your heart to God and say, Jesus, be my Savior. I praise you. Thank you for your suffering on the cross that saves and forgives. Let's do that right now, just together. In whatever way you want to do that, quietly in your own heart or out loud, just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your suffering on the cross. Thank you that because of what you've done, I can leave this life in peace when that time comes. Help me to live by faith until that day comes. Help me to live by faith, help me to die by faith. Because my eyes have seen the salvation that you have prepared in the face of all people the light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And all God's people said? Let's worship.